Well, good evening, you all. Welcome to our Bible study. We appreciate very much your presence tonight as we continue in the book of Revelation. I'm always impressed with people who come back for the book of Revelation. What happens is that, generally speaking, in the years that I've taught it, which has been on numerous occasions, we start out with a large crowd of people, in this case, watching online and in person. Uh, and as the weeks go by, the numbers, quite frankly, they tend to dwindle. People just have a hard time hanging with it. That's why I said from the very beginning, you just got to stick with this to get through it. Uh, so I appreciate very much you coming. I'm always impressed when people show up here, and we're also grateful for those who are watching online. So let's just quickly talk about what we dealt with last week briefly, and then we're going to move on. We're in the fourth chapter, and we're going to start with verse 9 of the fourth chapter in just a moment. But let's remind ourselves that in John's vision, as he has gone uh, now from the Christ speaking to these seven churches, John has had a vision with a door that leads from earth to heaven. And when he sees what is there, there is a throne and around the throne, which of course represents the majesty of God, the power of God, the beauty of God. There's a rainbow and around are 24 other thrones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples slash apostles. There are those with white robes representing purity and wearing crowns who are the innocent victors. There's lightning flashing. There is a sea of glass, which represents the distance between God and all of humanity. And God is on the throne. John is having this unique vision of the power of God. And there is something that looks like a lion, which represents the strongest of all beasts, the king of all beasts. Something that looks like an ox, which represents power. One that looks human, which is God's greatest creation. One that looks like an eagle, which is the majestic beauty of God's created order. And so we also see that there are those who bow down and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, uh, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Holy, 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 in this case, who was and is and is to come. And that's where the great hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, comes from. Uh, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. So it's John's vision of what heaven or part of heaven looks like. There are going to be other descriptions of heaven along the way, I assure you. But we see that here. And so we're going to pick up with chapter 4, verse 9. Now remember these creatures, all of these that have cast down their golden crowns. Remember, in that culture, in that day and time, whenever a king had to surrender to another king, he knelt down at the victor's feet representing submission to the one who is really king. They're casting down their golden crowns. And that is John's way of saying everything, everyone bows down before the one who is on the throne. God is king of all kings. No matter what the earth says about anyone else, no matter what the world would declare, there is only one true God whom all others have to bow down before. And all creation will submit to the one who is on the throne. Okay? So let's look at chapter 4, verse 9, and we will move right along this evening. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him, that's three, glory, honor, and thanks, 
who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever, and understanding that God is never ending. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. What did we talk about redundancy? What's John trying to say here? There's no end to God. God lives forever and ever. There it is twice in just a, a verse. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. There it is for the second time. We just had in verse 9, glory and honor and thanks. And now it's glory and honor and power. What John's vision is telling us is that everyone is bowing down before this great God who lives forever and ever. And no matter who they are in this life, in that world to come, they all bow down before the one who is king of all forever and ever. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So we have completed chapter 4 now. As we started with it last week, we move into chapter 5, and now we're going to start getting into some weird stuff like we haven't already. Just hang on for the ride because it starts to get rather unusual. So again tonight, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be flipping back and forth to other uh, passages of scripture in the Bible. So I want you to go ahead while I'm talking and find the book of Ezekiel. Now remember we've said before that Ezekiel has apocalypt is apocalyptic in nature in many instances. And Ezekiel is, in my opinion, even more strange, maybe because it's just a lot longer, but than the book of Revelation itself. And so if you find the prophet Ezekiel, go ahead and um, claim it. Uh, in the second chapter. So go to Ezekiel chapter 2, but go back to chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. All right, so chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So I want you to go over to chapter 2 of the book of Ezekiel. Hold your hand in the book of Revelation or use a bookmark, whatever you need to use. And look at chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. This is Ezekiel's call to be a prophet of God. And in Ezekiel's vision, look what he sees in chapter 2, verse 9. Then I looked and saw a hand stretched out to me. It was a scroll which he unrolled before me on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. So Ezekiel has a vision of a scroll that is written on both sides. What does John have a vision of? A scroll that is written on both sides. So notice this. Saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So a scroll is... Um, what parchment, what they would write on. It is um, information in this regard about God's future plans we are going to see. What is God going to do? It is written on this scroll, but the scroll is sealed like you would seal an envelope. Uh, when you lick the envelope, you seal it up, which means that it is a secret. So what John has in a vision 
is that there is one who has a scroll with God's future plans on it that has been sealed. And how many seals take a wild stab? Look at this. With seven. Isn't that interesting? What does seven mean? It is complete. It is a complete number. That means it is absolutely complete secrecy, profound secrecy. It is a record we are going to see of what will soon take place. So whatever, whatever is written on these scrolls, front and back, is sealed up. And it is sealed with seven seals. That means it is top secret. And we're going to see that there's a reason that it's top secret, because not just anybody is going to be able to open up the scroll and read what takes place. Verse 2, and I saw a mighty angel in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. We would say today, though young people don't know what this is, we would say today, open up the envelope or the envelope, however you choose to pronounce it, right? We, un we un unseal it to see what's inside. So you have here a question, who's the one who is worthy to open up the scroll, to break the seal so that it can be read? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. Now, what is the criteria to make a determination about who can open up the scroll? Who is worthy? Who is the worthy one? So there is no created being we discover that is worthy enough to open up the scroll. So it's top secret. And if it's top secret and nobody is worthy on heaven, in heaven and on earth to open up the scroll, what are we to do? So John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy, there it is again, worthy, that emphasis, that redundancy, to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now here's what I want you to see. You're going to see something really nice on the screen in just a second. It's a painting that I have of the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is a painting that hangs in my office here at Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church, painted by a member of our congregation, Shelley Gentry. Does that not look like a photograph? I mean, isn't that incredible? It looks beautiful. I call that the Lion of Judah. And we're going to discover who is the Lion of Judah, what does that mean, and where does it come from? So we're going to stop right there for just a moment. Go to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Again, I'm not trying to be patronizing. I want everybody to learn where Scripture is. Go to Genesis chapter 49. Obviously, toward the end of the book of Genesis. In fact, there are only 50 chapters in Genesis, so you're close to the end. Go to Genesis chapter 49. This is where Jacob takes time shortly before his death to bless his sons, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's Jacob's other name? Israel. Okay? So Jacob is blessing his sons, and we refer to this one as the Lion of Judah, right? Look at Genesis chapter 9. He is speaking to Judah, one of his sons. You are a lion, verse 9 of chapter 49. You are a lion's cub, Judah. 
You return from the prey, my son, like a lion who crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now you see that? That is a Jewish reference to the Messiah. What does Judah come? What people come from Judah? We call them Jews. It comes from the word Judah. This is a reference to the coming of Israel's hoped-for Messiah. Okay? It is an, what we would call an Old Testament reference to Israel's hoped-for Messiah. Notice how it ends, that verse 10. And obedience of the nations shall be his. In other words, the nations shall bow down before him. Now go back, if you will, to the book of Revelation. Now remember what we see in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David. Now we're going to see another painting that hangs in my house at home. And we're going to see that in just a moment up here. If they put it up, you see that one? The root of Jesse. Or the root, the root of Jesse or the root of David in this instance. Jesse being the father of David. So who do you think the root of Jesse might be? A reference to who? Jesus Christ, okay? So notice what it says here. See the line of the tribe of Judah, a reference to the coming Messiah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open up the scroll and its seven seals. So if you go to chapter, if you go find the book of Isaiah, if you will, go to Isaiah chapter 11. If you're kind of looking, uh, go past the book of Psalms, um, just keep moving toward back toward the Bible. Um, you go past Ecclesiastes along the way, um, you can find it. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Cha that is referred to, Isaiah chapter 11 is referred to as the reference to the branch of Jesse or the branch of David. Look what it says. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse. Then look verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, or the root of David, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. So here now, we can go back to the book of Revelation. Here now we have two what we would call Old Testament references to the Lion of Judah and to the root of David or the root of Jesse. Both references to Jesus Christ himself. Okay? There are many different, the bright and morning star is a reference to Jesus Christ. Remember in the Gospel of John, there are a lot of metaphors that refer to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. All these different metaphors to describe who Jesus is. Here in the book of Revelation, we have two back-to-back. -back. That means it is absolutely critically important. All right. So we discover there's nobody anywhere who can open up these scrolls. There's nobody who's capable of doing that. And John starts to weep in his vision. Oh my gosh, we have this secret about what is going to happen, about the future plans, a record of things to come, and nobody can do it. But then there is one who says, then one of the elders 
says, don't weep. See, the Lion of Judah, the Root of Jesse, has triumphed. Remember, he has triumphed, a reference to the resurrection. He has overcome. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. That means it's completely shut off, too. Seven being a complete number, it is completely sealed. But there is now one. These are two great Jewish titles to refer to the Messiah, Lion of Judah and the Root of Jesse, and we discover that that one is the one who can open up the seals on the scroll. All right, verse 6. Y'all still with me out there? All right. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Remember the elders, the tribes of Israel, the apostles, those creatures that we talked about made reference to the lion, the ox, human, and eagle. Notice this. There's a lamb standing at the center of the throne. Jesus is referred to as the lamb or the sacrificial lamb or some reference to that 29 times in the book of Revelation. So in this vision, notice this. We don't have John saying, there is Jesus in the center with the elders gathered around and the living, uh, the living creatures. There's not that reference. There, it is another metaphor to describe who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Now, notice what it says. Looking as if he had been slain, the lamb still carries the marks of sacrifice. What John wants you to see here is that the one to whom we bow down before has the marks of sacrifice. What are these people going through right now? A tremendous amount of sacrificial effort because of the suffering that they are enduring as followers of Jesus Christ. So everyone bows down before the one who still has the marks of the sacrifice, the slain lamb, Jesus Christ himself, who though he was slain is victorious. We're going to see all kinds of things. We're going to learn that the lamb is also the shepherd. What? We'll learn. Oh, I can see myself. I didn't even realize that. All right. Y'all still out there, I hope. So notice this. In John's own way, he describes the lamb. Now, remember, it is symbolic. It is metaphorical. It is in code. The lamb had... And now, remember, let me just interrupt myself here remember if this is written in code because if it gets into the wrong hands it could be dangerous for those who have that information with them so if you're talking about a throne and a lamb and you don't know what the lamb means you're not really too offended by a lamb on a throne are you i mean if it gets into the wrong hands if your job is to bow down before caesar and yet you're describing that you only bow down before the one who is the sacrificial lamb on the throne, but you don't know what the sacrificial lamb is. That's kind of innocuous. Okay, whatever. If it had said, are you all with me? If it says they bow down before the one on the throne who is Jesus the Christ, they have declared he is above all others, then now you open up yourself the possibility of being harmed. Are you all with me? 
You understand some of the reasons why this is written the way it is written. Most of us don't get fearful if a lamb walked into this room, would we? I don't think everybody's going to run for the hills. If a lion comes in the room, we're all going to climb all over each other to get out of here. But we're not that threatened by a sweet little lamb. Now, remember this sweet little lamb has the marks of sacrifice on him, and everyone is bowing down before him. Now, notice the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. There is seven again. Seven horns and seven eyes represent the fullness of power and insight. Horns represent power. He is fully powerful. The eyes represent insight, full knowledge, full awareness in its totality, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So this lamb with these seven horns and seven eyes now if you're hearing this, has anybody seen a seven-horned lamb with seven eyes? No, right? If a seven-horned lamb with seven eyes does come in this room, I am running out of here. And I'm going to step over you to get out of here, right? I mean, that's, that's strange. That's bizarre. Remember, it represents something else. It is a metaphor for one who is all-powerful and all-knowing, all-seeing, fully aware. All right. And he is sent out into the earth, this sacrificial lamb in the earth. Where do you think he is in the earth? He's in the church, right? He's all knowing. He's all aware. We know that because he's just told the seven churches, y'all are doing good. Six of you are doing great, but I got to correct you on a few things. And then to one of them, he just says, you make me vomit. All knowing, all aware. All right. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So he takes the scroll from the one's right hand, the one who has power and authority and might. The right hand represents all of that. So now he takes the scroll. He is the only one who can have anything to do with the scroll. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb... So you have a lion and an ox and an eagle and a human fall down before the lamb and the tribes of Israel fall down before the lamb and the apostles fall down before the lamb. They represent everyone. They all fall down before the lamb, a little lamb. But we know he's so much more than that. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So the prayers of God's people. Who are God's people in the book of Revelation? The church, the faithful, the victorious ones who don't quit and who don't give up. And so here we have those who have gathered around have all the prayers of all the people in the churches before the Lamb, before Jesus Christ himself. And they sang a new song. The phrase new song is oftentimes used in the Psalms. Now remember, the Psalms were songs, sung hymns, if you will, okay? Oftentimes, if you look at some of the Psalms, they'll say things that there's a word off to the side that says salah, S-E-L-A-H. We don't have any idea what that really means. 
It is some kind of ancient musical term. Most people assume it has something to do with take a breath, rest for a moment, and then move on and sing and sing, okay? So now there's a new song, someone new, someone powerful, saying you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, a reference, of course, to the sacrificial lamb who is Jesus Christ himself. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, you all, this is what I want you to see about this. This is what is important for the book of Revelation and for its message. Who did Jesus Christ die for? Every tribe, every language, and every person. Now, remember, many of the people who came to be a part of the early church were Jewish people. Jews are a race of people. But they were, for generations upon generations upon generations, taught that we are the chosen ones. We are the circumcised. We are literally and physically, as males, set apart, different from everybody else. And remember for a Jew, what is the generic term for everybody else? Gentile, right? And for Jews, who are the chosen ones themselves, that means they're God's elect. Paul came along as a Jew and started preaching and teaching to the Gentiles, which offended the Jews. The Jews in the early days said, wait a minute, we're God's chosen people. The Gentiles are heathens, they're pagans, etc." But if you read the Gospels, you discover that Jesus' message, and he makes it clear, is for everybody. So in the book of Revelation, as we have this lamb who is worthy and the only one worthy to share God's plan to open up the seal about what future events are going to take place, the only one who's worthy to do that, the lamb himself, is available and died for every tribe, every language, every nation. That's highly, highly important to understand. That's something different. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand, an infinite number. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, notice this, look at this, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, a reference, of course, to Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. So you have thousands upon ten thousands upon hundreds of thousands, millions of angels singing praises to the one who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now look at this. I want you to count these. To receive power, one, and wealth, two, and wisdom, three, and strength, four, and honor, five, and glory, six, and praise, how many? Seven. A total of seven, power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise, everything. You are worthy of receiving everything. 
in its totality, in its completeness, because you are the sacrificial lamb who died, who bled, who sacrificed for all the faithful. And all of those who are gathered around, there are there in these bowls, their prayers before the sacrificial lamb. They're not in a trash can. They're not lost somewhere. They're collected and they're for the sacrificial lamb. It's a way of saying that he hears your prayers. We're going to learn more about that in just a little bit. Maybe tomorrow by the time we get to it. Notice this. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to God the Father and to the Son, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Praise, honor, glory, power. How many is that? Four. What is four? It's a complete number. North, south, east, west. Okay? Again, it's a reference to everything in its totality. Nothing and no one is left out in being able to praise God and recognizing the completeness and totality of who God is. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, remember, Amen means so be it. Okay? Y'all still with me? Man, we're flying right through this book, aren't we? It's going to slow down a little bit now. So, remember, John has this vision of heaven. It's an extraordinary vision. And the one who is there, the sacrificial lamb himself, who still has the marks of sacrifice, has everyone offering him praise and glory. And he is the only one who can open up the seal of the scroll about future events. All right, now here we go. This is it. Let's look at chapter 6. I got to take a deep breath. This wears me out. I'm so tired by the time book of Revelation is over, every time we study it, I'm just, it wears me out. It just takes every ounce of energy to try to teach this. But you're here, and I'm glad. So, all right, chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, that means loud and powerfully, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. We're going to discover that this is a reference to what we know to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So we have this vision, the first seal. There is going to be tragedy of militaristic conquests. A white horse is going to represent a conquering power, a symbol of victory. A victorious Roman general would ride uh, a chariot pulled by white horses, a sign of victory. And we're going to see that as each seal is opened, there is a new terror that is going to fall upon the earth. All right? Now remember, as, let's keep this in mind, you all, because I think it's important now, because people start by this time in the book of Revelation, we get to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, people start saying, oh, that's a reference to something in 2021. Or that's a reference back in the 80s, it was always Russia. Right? So... Let's just keep this in mind. 
when John writes this, he is under the impression that these things will what? Soon take place. Don't try to project this off into the year 2021 when it was in the first century that this was written. What benefit would that have been to the people in the first century if you say, hang tough, be victorious, in 2,000 years, you're going to see these things take place, right? That wouldn't have been a great... If somebody said to us in the year 4021, I know you're suffering right now and it's tough, but in the year 4021, 2,000 years from now, it's all going to come and fall into place. You can hang on, can't you? Would that get you fired up to hang on? I doubt it. All right. So let's look at this. So I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So we see this first seal is opened and what emerges is a white horse, a stallion, a victorious one. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. That represents bloodshed and war, massive destruction. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So there's going to be victory, but there's also going to be a lot of bloodshed coming. That's what this means, okay, as these seals emerge. Remember, it's written metaphorically. I'm going to say that a thousand times more. Verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living, third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. That represents severe famine. Now, what, look what else it says. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands when I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. What does that mean? It essentially means this, that wheat prices are going to be staggering, but wine and oil are going to be unaffected. Oh, thank God for that. There's going to be, in other words, a major financial crisis. So there's going to be bloodshed. Notice it's building. There's going to be blood, and there's going to be war, and there's going to be a victor, and there's going to be a financial crisis. It's gloom and doom in every way, and that's intended to be that way because we're going to see who the gloom and doom is directed toward. And if you also are dealing with gloom and doom in the present, it is helpful to know that others who are doing all of that are going to suffer for what they've done. Right or wrong, okay? Y'all still out there? Okay. So now we have, we've had bloodshed and war. We have severe famine. Uh, and let's keep going. Now, remember when the lamb opened the seal, uh, I had somebody say to me one time, how can a lamb open up a seal? Like, you know, it's like saying, hey, to my dog, Henry, Henry, open up that can of beans and put them in the pot, right? Again, I want to say it is a metaphor 
the lamb is not literal, okay? So it's another word for who? Jesus, right? So if you get, sometimes with metaphors, again, I've told you I'm not good with that stuff sometimes. I don't think uh, abstractly very well. Sometimes I have to remind myself of some of this. Oh, wait a minute. It's not to be taken literally. This lamb represents something else, represents Jesus, okay? The only one worthy to tell us what will soon take place. All right. Verse 7. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. A rider, the, its rider was named Death and Hades, was following close behind them. That's pestilence and death. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So the pale horse, remember we have a white horse, red horse, black horse, and now pale horse, a horse that looks like death. So these are signs of things that are going to take place before the end times, and a fourth of the earth will die whatever the earth means, okay? Let's see. When I, he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. All right, now look at this. The souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So John in his vision sees all of those people who have died for the faith sees the souls of all of those people who have died, killed for the faith of Christ, the faithful souls. Now remember, where are they? Under the altar. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now, notice what these people are saying. When is there going to be retribution? We died for the sake of Jesus Christ. God, when are you going to get the bad guy? When are you going after him? Now, remember, in the Old Testament, we had animal sacrifice on the altar where blood was the sacrifice and spilled on the altar. So, in John's vision, the souls, if you will, have been spilled, if you will, on the altar. And they are vengeful. They want retribution. They want those who caused their death for the sake of Jesus Christ to pay for it. John sees that in his vision. How long? Look at Psalm, go to the middle of your Bible to Psalm 79. Doesn't it feel good just to turn your Bible and just flip to other passages of Scripture? All right. Psalm 79, verse 5. I'll give you just a split second to go ahead and find it again. It says, How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. That's another name. Jacob's another name for what? 
Israel. Do not hold us against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. So the psalmist says the same thing. I want you to show us the blood of those who have caused us suffering, God. Show us their blood. That's Psalm 79. We see now in the book of Revelation the same thing in John's vision, right? Those who have paid the price, they literally want to see the punishment of their persecutors. But we're going to see that these martyrs, these people who have died for the faith, are going to have to be patient a bit longer. Notice verse 11. Then each of them, that is these people who have died as followers of Jesus Christ, who have been martyred, each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Now, doesn't that sound encouraging? Think about it. When are you going to do something, God? When, there's, when is there going to be retribution? When are we going to see the blood of the people who shed our blood? Hang in a little longer. A bunch more, you got to die, and then I'll show you. Part of what John is doing here in his vision is making it clear that hard times are still to come, that there is still going to be suffering, there's still going to be death, and pain and sorrow along the way, that it's not over yet. All right. We've got just a couple of minutes here. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. What in the world? The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and the ma every mountain and island was removed from its place. That sounds horrible. There is going to be a cosmic catastrophe which is going to represent social upheaval and God's judgment raining down on planet Earth. So the earthquake represents that the Earth is going to tremble, the darkening of the sun and the moon. Uh, we don't have time to deal with this, but if you go to the 13th chapter of Isaiah, verse 10, or as Isaiah chapter 50, verse 3, you can read about the darkening of the sun and the moon. Another Old Testament reference. Falling stars for Jews, falling stars represented absolute chaos. Let's look at Matthew real quickly. Go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Not too far back. Remember, there's not a whole lot to the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 24. It says immediately, this is the word, the words of Jesus. 
Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So here we have a direct reference to the words of Jesus we find in the Gospel of Matthew that were written probably 30 to 40 years before the book of Revelation. Okay? So falling stars represent absolute chaos. The folding up of heaven, that's Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4. Eternal heavens will be torn into two, and the mountains and the islands will be removed from their place. That means that those things that are most unshakable will be shaken. Okay? We're going to talk, we're going to stop here because we have less than a minute to go, and we will pick up next week. Uh, as we continue this vision John has of these events that will soon take place that are going to cause in so many ways so many suffering for so many people. And we're going to see that as a result of those who suffer, that the suffering of the saints is not over yet either. Appreciate very much you being a part of our Wednesday study of the book of Revelation. We will see you Sunday morning. Blessings on the rest of your week. Thanks for being here.